This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, July 4th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. On a day like today, it may seem like tough times for libertarians. Wars with no end in sight, spiraling debt, the nation's first president who is also a member of the WWE Hall of Fame. And you may have heard that there are simply no libertarians at all in the electorate. But don't question your own existence just yet. Emily Eakins explains why. Uh, Jonathan Chait writes about the uh, Democracy Fund Voter Study Group uh, and uh, posts a scatter plot underneath a subhead, Libertarians Don't Exist. And of course, he's, he's looking through the uh, 2016 election. You see very uh, large cluster of, of folks voting for Hillary Clinton, a large cluster of folks voting for uh, Donald Trump, and relatively few of them falling into the quadrant that we could reasonably call libertarian. Yeah. So the piece that you're describing um, by Jonathan Chait in New York Magazine was kind of making the rounds on social media this week. And what people were really shocked to find is that according to this analysis that he cites, um, that 45 percent of Americans fall into the socially liberal and economically liberal camp and only 3.8 percent fell into the you know, socially liberal, fiscally conservative camp, which people often you know, associate with libertarians. And so people were just so shocked. Um, and when I saw this, I thought, wow, that's really different than almost any other you know, academic research I've ever seen on the topic about how many libertarians are there in the electorate, how many liberals, how many conservatives. And that the other group, the one that we haven't talked about as much is you might call them the populists or the communitarians. They're folks that kind of like big government in the economic realm but are more kind of culturally conservative. Um, and so – I, I decided to write a, a piece for um, Cato at Liberty just outlining what the academic literature says about how many libertarians there are in the electorate. And I can tell you that it varies considerably, uh, but it ranges from 10 to 20 percent, but could range from 7 to 22. And in none of these studies did they ever find it as low as 3.8 percent. Um, so you can take from it what you will, but you're probably wondering – well, why are they so different? And basically, it's about the methods that you use to identify libertarians. So like, how do you define a libertarian? What questions do you ask to find out if someone's really a libertarian? And then also, there's some kind of statistical tools that you can use to try to identify people who are libertarian in the electorate. And all of those things differ from academic researcher to academic researcher. And that's why there's these differences. But I think the big takeaway is that um, like what the summary of the economic uh, academic literature says is it's between 10 to 20 percent of the electorate. But also liberals and conservatives make up a similar share of the electorate depending on how you define them. So there really isn't just like people like to think that it's uh, that most of the electorate are all liberals and conservatives. And that's just really not accurate. <laughs> um, people's attitudes are all across the map. But we organize ourselves in these parties, the Democratic and the Republican Party, and so people come to think wrongfully that most people are either liberal or conservative, and that's just not accurate. It's, it's the idea that uh, groups of, or individuals simply glom on to these entire packages of ideas and accept it wholesale. Is that, is that, is that part of the wrong assumption? Yes, I think that is part of the wrong assumption. And, and in reality, you know, think about it. 
What is the conservative position on Social Security? Is there one? Can you, I mean, what is it? (laughs) And I'll ask the same question for liberals and libertarians. What is the libertarian position? What happens a lot of times is people say, well, if you're a real libertarian, then you must think X. And so it might be, you know, abolish Social Security. But what if you're a libertarian that says, I think we should privatize Social Security? Um, Or I think that, uh, you know, we should, you know, means test Social Security. Does that mean you're not a libertarian? What we do is that we allow conservatives and liberals to have a wide range of positions on all sorts of policy issues, and they're allowed to be a conservative, and they're allowed to be a liberal. But for libertarians, there's often this litmus test in that you have to fit into this little box. And the thing is, is that if we did, if we held liberals and conservatives to that same standard, there would be about 10% of the population would be liberal and 10% would be conservative. In reality, people hold a wide variety of beliefs. Um, there was an article in the New York Times right before the election, and it was titled, I am not a kook. And it was by this woman in the, living in the UK who describes herself as libertarian. She says, I'm fiscally conservative and socially liberal. And she said that she had no one to vote for if she were an American living in the United States, um, which is true because there was no candidate in this election that was fiscally conservative and socially liberal. Um, but what was interesting about her is she talked about all these things that she, you know, she, that she takes libertarian positions on. She wants less government regulation of business, lower spending, less taxes. She's okay with um, gay couples getting married, all that kind of stuff. But she said that she wasn't that concerned about government involvement in health care. Now, a lot of my libertarian friends said, oh, well, she's not a libertarian if she thinks that. And my reaction was, well, I disagree with her that health that government should play a big role in healthcare. I think that actually hurts people and makes their health worse. But who am I to say that if she thinks all these other things, that this one belief that she has disqualifies her from being a libertarian? No one does this to liberals, and no one does this to conservatives. So why do we do it to libertarians? And so the well, reason uh, I touch, go ahead. Libertarians are the people who do it to other libertarians. First of all. <laughs> that is true. But also admit some of these academics do it as well. They're like, well, you're not a libertarian unless you think X, Y, and Z, and then they find a very small percentage. But if you use the same standards to measure different types of people in the electorate, you find out it's very diverse. Um, and you've got libertarians, you've got populists, you've got conservatives, liberals, and you know other, other types of people too, um, depending on how you kind of want to slice and dice the electorate. In order for Uh, libertarians to reveal themselves uh, on election day, there has to be a viable candidate for them to support. And and the assumption is that uh, among all of the candidates running as Democrats and Republicans, they did have these widely varying views. Do researchers tend to take whatever the range of acceptable debate is within actual political parties and then attach those to uh, make those into an ideology? Yes, they certainly do. Um, there's kind of an attempt to think that because a political party has created a platform of ideas, that those ideas naturally go together. 
So what we often see in political science research is that there is often an implicit assumption, although that by no means do all political scientists think this, but, but many of them do, that, oh, if you believe in free markets and less government intervention in the economy, that that must also mean that you oppose um, you know, LGBT rights and that you want to kind of clamp down on immigration and the border and that all these things naturally go together. And I say, no, they do not naturally go together. They go together for some people. But they don't go together for others. And I have a lot of quantitative empirical data to back that up. Um, and for, for, for listeners, you can go to the blog post at Cato.org and you can see, I think I have maybe 10 papers or so that are cited, different political scientists and researchers trying to figure out, ascertain how many libertarians there are. Um, so I think that's very important to keep in mind that the political parties are not representative of ideologies. What they are are coalitions of interest groups that come together and then they try to kind of weave a story <laughs> about how these ideas naturally go together. And some of them do, but some of them don't. So the big takeaway for libertarians is that they should stop worrying about whether or not they exist. <laughs> well, I think that what would be useful is for I, here's the problem. I think a lot of people are looking for people that think just like they do. And if they meet someone um, who – this is maybe more true among the libertarian crowd. That's what I'm speaking of. Um, if someone disagrees on one point, oh my gosh, you are not a real libertarian because you, you know, don't agree with me on everything. Here is the truth, the hard truth about American politics. You will never find someone that thinks just like you. It's all about coalitions. Everybody that is successful in American politics knows this. It is about creating coalitions of different types of people with different values and different beliefs and trying to find enough common ground that you can win and get public policy passed. That's how it works. But for those that say, no, I don't want to compromise on principles, I understand that. You shouldn't have to compromise on certain principles. But at the same time, you will never find another person that agrees with you on everything political. I think among the libertarian intelligentsia, uh, it is widely believed that the word libertarian is a terrible word. And I, I certainly think that. And uh, if we could somehow reclaim the word liberal, um, I would do that as well. Well, it's true that in surveys, People who kind of share broadly libertarian views often don't know that they are libertarian. So if you look at people who self-identify on surveys as libertarian, that they're about 11 percent of the population or so, um, many of them, they actually do hold, you know, mostly libertarian views on things, but some of them don't. And then there are quite a few people out there who <laughs> hold these libertarian views but don't identify as libertarian because they think the word sounds extreme or they don't really know what it means. Um, and so self-ID, you know, self-definition um, of being libertarian, I would say, is not the best way to ascertain how many libertarians are in the electorate. The best way to do that is to ask a variety of public opinion questions, public policy questions on things like economics, cultural issues, social issues, and so forth. You know, ask a variety of questions. The gold standard way to do this is to put the answers to those questions into a statistical algorithm of sorts. And that algorithm will identify how many libertarians 
there are. Um, and one particular study I would particularly recommend is by Stanley Feldman and Christopher Johnson, who do exactly this. And they find that 50 or 15 percent of the population are likely libertarians. 23 percent are liberals. 17 percent are conservatives and 8 percent are populists. And the remainder were kind of these centrist folks that were kind of hard to label. And what I really want to point out to the listeners here is that 15 percent were likely libertarian. 17 percent were likely conservative. That wasn't that different. Those are almost identical numbers. They found slightly more liberals, 23 percent. That's actually not that much higher either. So I would say, again, self-identification is not as good as asking people about what they believe about public policy on a variety of issues. That's how you can kind of figure out what people think about American politics. Emily Eakins is a research fellow and director of polling at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.